0: This person told me all good things must come to an end. And so today is our final message in the series, A Beautiful Mess. <clears throat> now, uh, throughout this series, we've been talking about a lot of different things, and, and uh, we hope that whether you have been walking through a mess as we've been going through this series, or whether you've been walking with someone through a mess um, I know I speak for Pastor Dave and myself that we truly hope that this series has been a blessing to you and that you have been greatly helped. And so I'd like to start today where we ended as we began the series, and that was over here in the living room with the family lockbox. And so what we'd said all the way back at the beginning of this series is that all of us have family secrets, and when people walk into our living room, they see what we want them to see. And so we display pictures on the table, on the wall, uh, that portray us as the perfect family. Or we put awards strategically placed in our, in our living room so that our guests can see how successful we are. But the truth about our families is hidden away in the family lockbox. And so I hope over the course of the series that you have taken a moment to actually open up the lockbox like this and discuss some of the unspoken issues in your family. And if you haven't opened the lockbox, if you've kept it closed under lock and key, uh, I would like to ask you at the beginning of the message today, why? Why haven't you opened it? And off the top of my head, I can think of just a couple reasons. First, uh, maybe you can't get past the shame we spoke about in week one. That to talk about issues would, uh, in the lockbox would take you to a place of pain that you just can't bear. But secondly, I think an even greater reason that we don't open the lockbox is because even if we open it, we don't think anything will change. Over the course of the series, we've talked about a lot of different family dysfunctions. We've talked about anger and favoritism and deceit and abuse and jealousy. And maybe you've been sitting in the audience or you've been watching at home or listening on podcasts and and you're just saying, I just don't want to go there. I've tried before and nothing has changed. I don't want to waste my breath. You don't believe there can be change. Well, today... What I'd like to speak with you about as we wrap up this series is the power to change. Today, I'd like you to imagine the impossible for your family. Now, many in the audience today, here in the audience here watching at home, have probably uh, listened to or at least been familiar with the popular Christian song, I Can Only Imagine. The song was written by a man named Bart Millard. Uh, Here he is with his beautiful wife. Uh, He's the lead singer of the band Mercy Me. Now, what you probably don't know is that there is a story behind the song. In fact, there was a movie that was made about this fairly recently. And the movie portrays Bart's growing up in a home with an abusive dad. Uh, His mom left when he was really young. It was really dysfunctional. It would fit really well within the series we're talking about. But at the end of the movie, we learn that God does a miracle, and it ends with the writing of this amazing song. And so what I'd like to do here is just to give you a feel for that, and I'd like you to watch the trailer which I have for you. So let's let's watch that as we start.
1: It's an amazing song. Just kinda happened. Took about ten minutes, I guess. Bart, you didn't write this song in ten minutes. It took a lifetime. How'd you do this? You know, I've never told anybody my story. When I was uh, 11 years old, life was tough. Where's mama? She's gone. She don't want me no more. And she don't want you neither. And I've always loved music. And I found some songs that I just, I held on to. They gave me hope. Mercy me, that can't be his real voice. Cause I needed it. Dad, I can do this. No, you can't. And you're gonna blink your eyes and you're gonna realize that life has gotten you nowhere because you chased some stupid dream. I can only imagine. I'm leaving, Shannon. Like.
0: I want you to know that I pray for you all the time. When I walk, and I hope that you find whatever it is that you're looking for out there.
1: What are you running from? My dad. Been right about it. Let that pain become your inspiration. I have some stuff I need to sort out and I deal with it the only way I know how and that's to write a song. You hungry? I set the table. What is this? I want to make things right. (laughs) You and me. My dad was a monster, and I saw God transform him gift real gift i didn't think that god could do that and so i wrote this song for my dad
0: now if you haven't seen the movie it's actually really really well done i would certainly suggest that you check it out Um, In fact, I got a little nostalgic listening to, uh, or at least seeing Amy Grant albums and her portrayed on the screen and him singing songs of Stephen Curtis Chapman. Um, But there's one line that stuck out to me even in that trailer, and Amy Grant says it. She says this. She says, Bart, you didn't write this song in 10 minutes. It took a lifetime. And I think that's true for all of us. That each of us could write a song about our lives because each of us has a unique story to tell. Now, as you probably gathered from the trailer, Bart had a challenging relationship with his dad. Uh, Towards the end of the movie, we learn that God did something amazing. And, And really, the movie is about God taking a father who was a monster and turning him into a man who wanted to see things Right? And so, over the course of the message today, what I would like to do is show you scenes from the movie that capture this very moving narrative. But I have to tell you, the change in this story wasn't easy or immediate. Bart and his dad kept that lockbox closed for many years because they did not believe change was possible. And that's the tension that I think a lot of us feel. That change, especially within the family system, is challenging. Change requires stepping into the mess of shame and opening up old wounds. It means asking for forgiveness and being willing to forgive. And if we're honest, we don't want to do that. We think change is impossible. And so today, what I'd like you to imagine is something different. Is there someone in your family that you need to forgive? What if, what if you had the power to change? Now, over the course of this series, we've been studying the book of Genesis, and my, oh my, have we found some disturbing family dysfunction in this book of beginnings. Well, in Genesis chapter 50, we come to the end of the stories of Jacob and Joseph. The second half of Genesis has been all about their families. And if you'll remember, all the way back from our message a few weeks ago, Joseph's brothers committed an evil act against him. They beat him up. They sold him into slavery. And at the beginning of Genesis 50, they come to him asking for forgiveness. And when people come to us asking for forgiveness, we have a choice. How will we respond? Our response is, has the power to change a family system. And so Joseph replies to his brothers in verses 19 to 21 of chapter 50, and in Joseph's response, we see the key to unlocking the power to change in our families and our relationships. Commentator Derek Kidner writes this about Joseph's reply. He says, Each sentence of the threefold reply is the pinnacle of Old Testament and New Testament faith. Listen to this. To leave all the writing of wrongs to God, to see God's providing hand in man's malice, and to repay evil not only with forgiveness but with practical affection. These are attitudes which anticipate Christ likeness. Do you see what he's saying here? Three elements of pursuing reconciliation one, leaving the writing of wrongs to God. Second, See how God provided in the dysfunction. And third, repay evil with forgiveness. Now, for the majority of our time today, I'd like to look at Joseph's short three-verse response. Because, I, as I mentioned, I think it is, the, it is the key to unlocking the power to change. And maybe you're here today and, and you don't believe your family can change, like I mentioned before. What I would like to tell you and impress upon you today is this, it's possible. If you follow Joseph's example, change is possible. If we do three things, and let me, let me change it and say it a different way. Three things to change. Number one, we're going to see this in the text, we got to get off God's throne. Second, we got to get up in the sky. And third, we got to get generous with our love. Get off God's throne, get up in the sky, get generous with your love. When we do all three, there is power to see change in our families. And with that in mind, would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, Father, we recognize that we've talked about some difficult subjects over the last two months. Today we culminate with the end of Genesis, we culminate with the idea of change, Lord, but we recognize that change is difficult. And so I pray for an extra measure of your grace, not only for the preacher today, Lord, but also for those that are, are listening today, that are looking at your word. Father, I pray that you would do a mighty work, that you would unlock the key to change in our hearts, and that you would let forgiveness flow in families, Lord. And we ask that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, Jacob is dead, the first half of Genesis 50 shows Joseph weeping over his father and the family burying him back in Canaan. Now, before we look at Joseph's response, let's back up and look at the brother's request. Because immediately after the funeral, we read this about Joseph's brothers in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Now, that's an interesting thought from Joseph's brothers. Why would they say that? I mean, if you read back in Genesis 45, it certainly seemed like he forgave them. But now, dad is dead, right? Circumstances have changed, and they're afraid that Joseph is going to seize the opportunity to take revenge. And so look at what they they do, verse 16. So they sent a message to Joseph See, Joseph's brothers are even afraid to face him face to face, and so they send an emissary. What is the message? Essentially, they tell him, listen to this, they tell him, Dad said you should be nice to us. (laughs) Don't upset your father, even even though he's in the grave, Joseph. See, they're hiding behind their father's command. Why? Well, notice in verse 17, they specifically ask Joseph to forgive them because they did evil against him. And Joseph weeps. Now why, after all these years, is Joseph weeping when they send him this message? Well, if you read the commentaries, nearly all the commentators on this passage notice a very profound point, And it's this, that while Joseph forgave his brothers in Genesis 45, his brothers never asked for forgiveness. In other words, there's unfinished business here. And Joseph may be weeping because it's been been decades he's been waiting for his brothers to finally admit they did something wrong. Why is that significant? Well, theologian Miroslav Volf wrote a book entitled Free of Charge, Giving and Forgiving in a Culture Stripped of Grace. It's an excellent book. I I recommend you read it. Um, In the book, he offers this definition of forgiveness. He says, to forgive is to name the wrongdoing and condemn it. In other words, we only need to forgive if someone's wronged us. And total forgiveness, he says, can only happen if we admit that it was wrong and repudiate the action. And so in that sense, Joseph chose to forgive his brothers, but in order for full forgiveness to take place, they had to confess their wrongdoing. And so Wolf continues. He writes this, Without confession, I will remain unforgiven. Not because God doesn't forgive, but because a refusal to confess is a rejection of forgiveness. A refusal to confess is a rejection of forgiveness. There is unfinished work to do. And I think Joseph is weeping here because finally, 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 his brothers have come around and true, total rec- reconciliation can happen. I mean, it's, at this point, it's been 40 years since the initial incident. Now, Joseph's story is not so much different than Bart Miller's. Now, Joseph's brothers beat him up, they put him in a pit, they sell him into slavery, and then when he sees them again, apparently, they don't ask his forgiveness, for nearly 20 years from that point. Now for Bart, it was his dad. And so let me show you a scene of what it was like for him to live with his father. Let's watch this.
1: on. What you got there?
0: It's a fighter helmet that I made during a big battle in space.
1: You should have worked hard on that, didn't you? Teach you something, Bart. Dreams don't pay the bills. Nothing good comes from it. All it does is keep you from all this, from knowing what's real. You understand that, huh?
0: Yes, Daddy.
1: Well, that's a piece of gelatin. Why don't you just go throw it away?
0: Too many of us, I think, can relate to that. Angry dads. Now, later in the movie, after decades of anger and abuse, Bart's dad comes to him and says he wants to make things right. And initially, Bart replies with anger and says he wants nothing to do with his dad. When people come to us asking forgiveness, we have a choice. A choice of how to respond. Now, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. How would you respond? How will he respond? I mean, if you're Joseph, you've made the effort to forgive your brothers. You've, you've brought the whole family to live with you in Egypt, so nobody dies of starvation. Uh, and for years, for decades, your brother never said, your brothers never said to you, Joseph, we were wrong. Joseph, what we did was evil. Never says that. That, that really seems to be what the text is saying here. And so they finally come to him and they ask forgiveness. Now, I don't know about you, but in my flesh, if this was me, I would want to give them a lecture. I'd want to say, how dare you come to me after all these years? It's about time because I know myself and I would probably judge my brothers. That's what older siblings do best, right? How many eldest kids are out there? Yes, we are prone to judgment. Well, what does Joseph say? He says this But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Now, I read a verse like that, and I got to pick myself up off the floor because Joseph doesn't do what I would have done. He says two things. First, he says, Do not fear. Literally, Joseph is saying, your fears are groundless, which is the same thing he said to them back in Genesis 45, and he's saying it again here. He's assuring them that he will not hurt them. And friends, I have to tell you, if if you want to have an open and honest conversation with someone, it's best to put them at ease. And so that's what Joseph is doing here. But secondly, Joseph says he's not God. And that statement, I think, gets at the the reason deep forgiveness doesn't happen in our relationships and in our families. That when someone hurts us, or if we perceive ourselves to be better than someone, we naturally want to put ourselves in God's place. We want to judge other people. Now notice, this is exactly what has got, got us in this mess back in the first place. Don't you remember all the way back in Genesis 3... When the serpent tempted Adam and Eve, what was the lie he got them to believe? Eat the tree and you'll be like God, right? And when dysfunction happens in our families or someone wrongs us, we eat that fruit all over again. See, have, have you ever put yourself in the place of God? If you want to see change happen in your life and in your family, you got to recognize what Joseph recognized. You are not God, so get off his throne. And when someone comes to you like Joseph's brothers did and asks for forgiveness, don't act like you could never do anything wrong, because we all have. How do we put ourselves on God's throne? Well, in a sermon on this passage, Dr. Tim Keller identifies at least two ways that we do this that we put ourselves in God's place and the first thing he says is that we think we're morally superior. Have you ever looked down your nose at someone and thought, "I can't believe they would do that." Or perhaps you've you've you thought, "Well, sure I'm not perfect, I make mistakes, but I have never done anything as bad as that person." What are we doing? We're assuming moral superiority over someone else, and when we do that, we are putting ourselves on God's throne and judging other people. What What does Jesus himself say in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 7, Judge not that you be not judged, for with judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Now, Jesus, of course, in this passage is condemning religious people who thought they were morally superior to those pagans over there. And his point, though, is that we should always look at ourselves and examine ourselves. That will keep us humble and off God's throne. Leave the judging to the one who's truly righteous. Now, secondly, we put ourselves on God's throne by holding grudges, which may get a little close to home for some of us. Have you ever, in your marriage or in a friendship or with another family member, brought up something from the past, even though you said you forgave them? Well, if you did, if you held a grudge, let me be the bearer of bad news. You didn't really forgive them. You see when Joseph's brother Joseph says to his brothers am I in the place of God what he's really saying is I'm not holding a grudge. I have forgiven you. Don't be afraid. I'm not out to get you. And the reason that Joseph can do that is because he has experienced God's favor which is the old testament word for grace. God protected him, God delivered him. Even when he was in the pit multiple times. Now listen, if you, are, if you are someone in this room who holds grudges, I would suggest to you, and I say this in love, that you are sabotaging the power to see change in your family. Amen. Why? Because you always want to have something over some other people. You're sitting on God's throne, Because the heart of forgiveness that leads to change, as Miroslav Volf puts it, is to relinquish retribution. The heart of forgiveness is a genuine release of a genuine debt. Don't you see? That if you are a person who holds a grudge, you're never going to get what you're looking for. Instead, that unforgiveness is going to lead to bitterness and resentment and spite When you withhold forgiveness, you are sitting on God's throne, and it will kill your soul. Now, when I was younger, I was a fan of the musical Les Miserables. Some of you out there may have been. The latest movie was pretty good, uh, if you didn't get to see the musical. Uh, But the main character in the story is a guy named Jean Valjean. He's an ex-convict who, early in the story, is given a warm reception at the home of a bishop. And the bishop is incredibly generous with Valjean. He allows him to stay in his home. But but Jean Valjean's heart has not really been changed. And so the next day, the police stop Valjean, who fled the bishop's home as he stole some of his silverware. And so the the police bring Valjean back to the bishop's home. uh, But instead of condemning Valjean, the bishop pretends no crime has been committed. He even goes further... And tells him that he forgot to take the candlesticks, too. And so as the bishop sends Valjean on his way, a free man, he says this in the Victor Hugo novel. He says, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil but to good. It is your soul I am buying for you. I withdraw it from dark thoughts and from the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. Now, how could the bishop do that? He didn't hold a grudge because he got off God's throne. And he gave Jean Valjean the gift of forgiveness just as Joseph did his brother. See, do you want to see change in your family? You have to get off God's throne. But you've got to do more than that. So secondly, you got to get up in the sky. you got to get up in the sky. See, in Genesis 50, 20, Joseph makes a profoundly deep theological statement that has tremendous implications for healing family dysfunction. First, he says, don't, uh, don't fear, I'm not God. But then, then, secondly, he addresses the evil act directly. He says this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. How's that possible? What's Joseph saying here? He's getting up in the sky. What do I mean? Well, I imagine most people uh, in this room have been on an airplane. Uh, If you haven't, I highly recommend it. Uh, I still remember the first time I flew on an airplane. Uh, My family didn't, didn't travel much when I was young, and so the first time I was on a plane was college. And so I remember thinking as I got on this plane, as I'm flying over the country, what have I been missing? See, once you get above the clouds and you look down on the earth, you see a whole different perspective. And When I would go to New York City when I was a kid, I, I would look up at the skyscrapers and I would wonder, how, how did they get so tall? How did they do that? But when you look down on the city from an airplane, it gives a totally new perspective on how big the city is but also how small it is compared to the world. Now, when Joseph says, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good, what he is doing is getting up in the sky and seeing life from God's perspective. And so maybe you've read this verse before and and you've asked the question, well, how can God take something evil and turn it to good? Remember, Joseph qualifies that statement and he says, God used it to save people. In other words, God knows more than me. And so here's why this is so important. Because, listen, if you don't get up in the sky, you won't know what to do when evil comes. And it will come. Like a violent storm, evil can come upon you. And if you don't get up in the sky, you're not going to make it through the storm. Joseph saw the big picture. And so if we come back to Bart Millard's story for a second, we see this play out in real life. There is a scene, kind of a hard scene later in the movie, where Bart, with his newly discovered singing talent, uh, is going off to church. He was asked to sing. And he invites his dad to come. But his dad refuses, and it opens old wounds. Let's watch this.
1: You're up early. Made my son breakfast. What's with the get up? Going to a funeral? No. I'm just going to church. Dad. Church. <clears throat> Sit down and knee. Come on. Sit down and Getting cold. Hey, did you see this? Let's see it. Look at that. <laughs> Front page. You look like a pinocchio cowboy. <laughs> it's a good joke. So, that's what I am to you, a joke? I didn't say that. You just said it. What, don't put words in my mouth. What if I want to sing? Why is that so funny? I mean, maybe I'm good at it. The pastor of the church asked me to sing this morning. It's got to mean something. He asked you to sing for a living? That's what I'm saying. You need to find something you're good at that you can actually earn a living at because you're gonna have to support yourself one of these days. Why do you even know? You've never even heard me sing. Well, that's not my fault. All I hear out of you is whining and moaning. Okay. I'm singing this morning at church. 10 o'clock on Radio AM 1080. Why don't you come watch no, me sing? I can't do that. Why not? No, I just don't belong there. Why? I just don't, I don't. Don't belong there. Okay. My boy Bartz. Oh, he's nothing but a big disappointment. I wish he would never been born. Everything been just fine. All my problems are because of Bart. Hey, hey wish- you put words in my mouth. I'm going to put a fist in your face. Yeah, I'm a little big for that, Dad. Oh, you think it. I think Is those that days think? are over. Yeah. Is that what you I think? do, yeah. Listen, you have to talk to me with respect. I'm the one that puts the food on the table. I earned the living around here, and I'm the one who stayed. I don't see your mama anywhere.
0: Yeah, well, nobody blames her for leaving, Dad. I would have left, too.
1: Just shut up. Just shut up and eat. I'm not hungry. Eat your food. I'm not hungry. All right, then.
0: with you. You're crazy. Get away from me. Now that's a hard scene to watch. And uh, since we're talking about forgiveness and the power to change this morning, I do want to pause for a moment and offer a caveat. We talked about this a little, a couple weeks ago. If you are in an abusive situation, you need to set healthy boundaries. You need to protect yourself from an abuser. Miroslav Volf puts it this way. He says, As long as there is potential for harm in a relationship, you should remember the offense. We will forgive, but the offender's likely negligence or wickedness will prevent forgiveness from growing into its fullness. But here's what we need to see from even this dark scene. Later in the movie, we learn that this was the moment that Bart's dad began to change. We learn that Bart was singing in church, and his dad indeed didn't turn on the radio, and he was listening. And what's really sad is that it took this final moment of anger and rage to, to get him to that point, for him to wake up. But from this moment on was a long journey of repentance and forgiveness. You meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, so that people would be saved. But Bart and his dad couldn't see what God was doing in that moment. See that they were seeing life right here from not from the sky, but from the ground. And if you want the power to change, if you want to see change in your family, you gotta get up in the sky. When I stand on the ground in New York City, I can only see so far because my view is blocked by buildings and people. And cars, I can only see a small part of the city. But from the sky, I can view the whole city. What a change of perspective. See, when moments of evil come, you got to get up in the sky. Because on the ground, from the human perspective, we look at Joseph's statement and we see it as an either or. Right? If you're in a good family and things are going well, you say, praise God, he's good. And, and he is. But if you're in, in a dysfunctional family where things turn bad, there's a tendency to believe that God doesn't hear our prayers, that we start believing that maybe we did, we did something wrong and God's trying to punish us, or maybe we stop believing that God is good. But when we get up in the sky, when you see things from God's perspective, as Joseph puts it, life can be terrible, but God is still Good. And if you want the power to see change in your family, you got to believe that God is still good, even when situations seem bad. God used this situation to preserve Joseph's family, and by extension, he preserved the promise of a Savior for us. And so friends, listen, this may be hard to hear, but it is no mistake that you were born into the family that you were born into. In your family, some people may have done bad things, but God can still turn it into good. There can still be redemption and forgiveness. In fact, Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, God is always good, even if we don't see it until the last day. Do you want the power to change? Get off God's throne. Get up in the sky and see things from his perspective. But finally, finally, get generous with your love. Get generous with your love. And that's where the rubber meets the road. It's where it gets practical. And it's the hardest thing for us. Because some people have hurt us very deeply. And we don't want to love them. We may never want to see them again. Joseph's brothers did some evil to Joseph. But by the time he sees them again, God did such a work in Joseph's heart that he was able to finish with this statement in verse 21. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. (laughs) Look, I mean, again, he repeats that phrase, do not fear, I will take care of you. He's going out of his way to assure them that they have nothing to fear. And just like in Genesis 45, it is recorded that Joseph spoke to his brothers. But here he comforts them and he's kind to them. And unlike Genesis 45, the forgiveness is now complete. Not only has Joseph offered forgiveness, but his brothers have asked for it. Now, the healing is so much deeper than it was before. Because they asked forgiveness, Joseph was able to give them the gift of forgiveness. And that, friends, is how the story of Genesis ends. It points toward what God has been showing us all along. In fact, commentator Gordon Wenham sums it up this way. He says, It therefore seems highly likely to me that Genesis is not merely recording the grace of God in calling Abraham and his descendants, but also implicitly encouraging those descendants to follow their ancestors' example by showing forgiveness and seeking reconciliation, listen to this, however long and bitter the former feuds have been. What is he saying? That the story of Genesis is a story of grace. It's a story of God working in the lives of sinful, broken, messed up people. It's a story of God taking the mess we made of things and injecting the beauty of redemption into our story. And so at the end of Genesis 50, God says this to us. He says, evil things may have happened in your life, but I see you. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. I will provide for you. I will forgive you. And so the story of Genesis points forward to the larger story of forgiveness and change in the whole Bible. Because one day, from the line of Jacob, a Savior would come to forgive the world. And now you and I have the power to forgive that Joseph didn't have. That the power to change, the power to forgive is rooted in the fact that we have been forgiven. We are, as Volf says, forgiven forgivers. Because God was generous with his love, now we can be generous with our love. See, the power to change is rooted in the gospel itself. Bart Millard had a tough life. And after he'd been out on the road and he was trying to find his voice for for singing in the music scene, he returns home to make things right with his dad. Only to find that his dad is dying of pancreatic cancer. And at that moment, despite all the hurt and the pain his dad inflicted on Bart his whole life, Bart chooses to forgive him. Watch this scene. journals, come up here. You're going to need it for your session
1: tonight. Tonight, we're going to
0: talk about forgiveness. you find the life page in your journal. And I want you to write these words. God, tonight, I choose to forgive. And I want you to finish that sentence. Now, you may say to me, You don't know how hard it is for me to forgive this person. You don't know what they've done. And I'd say, I know it's hard. But if you have been forgiven by God, then he gives you the power to forgive others. When Bart was a kid, as you saw in that scene, he went to a Christian camp. And at the camp, they encouraged the kids to make a choice to forgive, as the pastors say. It's says, if you've been forgiven by God, he gives you the power to forgive others. Amen. Since God has been generous with his love, now we can be generous with our love. But in our day and age, there's a few obstacles to choosing to forgive. First, there's the obstacle of pride. Now, we we spoke about this a little bit before, but truthfully, some of us are still sitting here saying, "I, I can't do it, my family will never change, you don't know what's happened, I don't want to forgive or ask forgiveness. And that mindset is rooted in pride, that we don't forgive because it would cause us to admit we're wrong, to lose our reputation, or to lose the power we have over someone. But secondly, we live in a culture stripped of grace, that we live in a world that takes our mistakes and uses them as weapons against us. As a culture, we've lost the understanding and the will to forgive. The world will tell you, don't be generous with your love. You only give something to someone if you will get something in return. But that is self-serving and not truly loving. It's not how God works. Miroslav Volf puts it this way. He says, on account of Christ, we can walk over the chasm from our sinful self-love to a life of generosity and forgiveness. Because in a world where it's all about us, change will never happen. Just the opposite. That's how wars start. And so we began this message by coming back to the lockbox. And so let me finish the whole series by by putting us here. Because I said one of the reasons we don't open this lockbox and look inside is because we don't believe anything will happen in our family. No change is possible. But through the power of the gospel, through Jesus' self-giving sacrifice, anything is possible. That you want to find the power to change your life or your family, you got to look to Jesus. He promises new life, a renewed future, a remade family tree if you surrender to Him. See, the grand story of the Bible begins this way. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God gave us creation. And we learned through this whole series that our rebellion and disobedience caused a mess. It hurt the heart of God. But now... But now, God doesn't just give, he forgives. And the book of Revelation tells us that that the forgiven saints will reign with him in a new creation. That there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Because the old order of things has passed away. Dysfunction is dead. And just because you came from a dysfunctional family does not mean you are destined for a dysfunctional life. God offers the promise of new life. And so if you watch that movie, Bart Millard and his dad looked forward to that promise. That at the end of the movie, Bart's dad gives his life to Christ. And he's a new man. That he discovers a love for God's word. He goes to church. And the last months of his life are some of the happiest moments with his son. In fact, Bart says in the movie, "It's it's like I got the dad I always wanted. That when Bart forgave his dad and he saw the change in his father's heart, his own heart was released to find his voice in writing songs. And it's then that he wrote the song, I can only imagine. Which to this day is like the most popular Christian song ever. Why? Because it looks forward to the promise that one day we will be with Jesus. One day... All dysfunction will pass away. One day, all things will be made right, church. And because of that promise, even today, we can see change within our families. And so in this final scene, Bart finally performs that song for the first time before an audience. And as he sings the song, he sees his dad, who's passed away, standing in the audience, listening. Let's watch this. Know about you, but that scene moves my heart because there's been people in my family I've prayed for for a long time, and I can only imagine to think that one day my family relationships can be renewed. Friends, do you believe that promise? That God offers the promise of transformation if we surrender to Jesus Christ. And if you want to see transformation in your family, you got to get off God's throne. you got to get up in the sky. And you got to get generous with your love. And the power to do that comes when we believe the promise of God. Believing the promise provides the power to change. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, if we're sitting here weeping today, Father, it's, it's tears to know that you, Lord God, are God. That you are the God who can change hearts and minds, even those that seem farthest from you, Lord. You are the one who can renew and remake the most dysfunctional family systems, Lord. And for those who have been sitting here listening for the last couple months and their families are, are in a good place and you've blessed them, Lord, praise God. May you use them as your agents of change to a broken world. And for those that still need to see change, Lord, may this last song that we sing be a rallying cry. I can only imagine. I can only imagine, Lord. And we can imagine because you can do it. We give ourselves and our hearts to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bob.
1: As I was sitting there listening to these... A song, I thought also of my own stepfather, how I had to forgive him as well, because um, I grew up in a, in a home with a stepfather, and um, it was only when I did choose to forgive him that I really find the release and the joy to really serve the Lord, really do what it is that he called me to do. I really identify with that story that Pastor Bob shared in the message in the movie and everything it's it's all acting there but it's for many of us it's real because we can recall moments where God transformed our lives through the, the act of forgiveness this morning so let's stand and let's sing this song and if you can identify with that and that's all the more amazing That we look forward to that time I can only imagine What it will be like When I walk By your side I can only imagine What my eyes will see Make your face is the for me I can only unite